You're listening to the Baird and Baird podcast. Welcome again to another episode of the Baird and Baird podcast. My name is Kevin Baird, and I'm here with my son, Clayton Baird. I'm here. And we are two generations of pastors, and we are bantering and discussing all sorts of things related to the faith, ministry, church life, and various other subjects that uh, might be an interesting an interesting discussion between two distinct generations. And so we uh, had our inaugural send-off on our last episode talking a little our bit about voyage. church and the, ma- the maiden voyage. And now, uh, in our second episode, we're going to talk about mistakes leaders make, which may be an opportune time to clean up any that we made on our last episode. Mistakes. This this is gonna we're gonna have like part five to this one. Uh, a lot of a lot of mistakes. It will I be can... a two to three hour podcast, <laughs> yeah. I'm sure. A lot of so. mistakes for sure. Uh, I mean, even looking back, I mean, I'm I'm 34 years old in my mid 30s, I guess now, and looking back, I can see uh, certainly I, all of us. I mean, if you're in ministry, you probably look back years. You're like, man, if I could go back, I'd certainly do some things different. So hey, think about me. Forty <laughs> years. 40 years of preaching, uh, 35 years of pastoring. I mean, I have I have a notebook full of mistakes. And how many times uh, your mom and I have looked at each other and said, if we could only go back and yeah. redo that one, we probably would do that. I think the reason we you know we wanted to put this on uh, on this first season of the Baird Baird podcast is because you know I, I'll just say it like this: I think there's two teachers in life, and I think the two teachers are wisdom and experience. And for those of us who know those two teachers, you know that experience is a really rough teacher. Yeah, wisdom is a far better teacher because it teaches you beforehand. <laughs> actually, actually, yeah, actually, I say I, I have a similar statement. I said two teachers are uh, voices of experience. Yeah, and pain. Yeah, you don't want the pain. Yeah, <laughs> you know, exactly. Pain is a teacher. And so, so you know, there's been moments when I, wisdom. I, I received wisdom from someone else, and it was a good teacher. Man, it was a really good teacher. I learned something before I made the mistake, and then unfortunately, like many of us, uh, experience has been my teacher at other times, and sometimes it's a, it's a painful, rough teacher because, you know, yeah. you, you, you had to walk through some stuff. Well, there's, so. there's a piece of all of us that really believes we know what we're doing. Yeah. And then add on top of that, that, uh, you know, we believe we're being led by the Holy Spirit right. and, and God's God speaking to us, which sometimes he is, and sometimes I think we probably mess that one up too. But yeah. nonetheless, you, you factor all those things, and there can be a lot of mistakes For that sure. take place in ministry. So hopefully what we want to do in this episode as we talk about mistakes leaders make is hopefully this is this is a this is a wisdom teacher to someone who's listening right now. You know well, what I mean? hope so. If you yeah. can learn off my pain. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I've always said that, even with you, Clay. I've said, hey, l- learn off my pain. Don't let my pain yeah. be for no- nothing. Learn from it. Believe it. And obviously, you've got to make your own choices, but you know, yeah. learn from another person's pain, then uh, create your own. For sure. So, I, so we kind of just wrote down like four things, uh, four kind of mistakes that leaders make. Um, obviously, if you're new to the podcast, we're obviously coming from a faith-based perspective, uh, being pastors, and so a lot of the discussions that we have revolve around church and the faith, Christianity, all that kind of stuff. And so that's kind of where we're at, where we're coming from. And so the first mistake that I see uh, leaders make is when they allow ministry to replace Jesus. 
they're, they're allowing ministry to replace Jesus. I, I think it's it can be like the first and greatest mistake, which in essence gives birth to all other mistakes when right. we don't allow Jesus to have his rightful place in our life, in our ministry. Um, because for those of us who have, who have been in ministry, we lead churches, we lead ministry, whatever, nonprofits, whatever it might be. Um, obviously, we probably know in our heart, Jesus is my first love, should be my first love. But at the same time, maybe you founded this thing, and now it's become your baby. Oh, yes. And you care about your baby, this organization, this church, this ministry. And uh, because from the early days, you sacrificed for this this baby, so to speak. You uh, you you dug it out. You put a lot of you know, you got sweat equity in oh, in this yeah, thing. Oh yeah, blood, sweat, and, and uh, tears. And and so, but but what I see sometimes is uh, is this thing, which ultimately, if we're not careful and we really don't yield to Jesus and keep him as our first love and and really the affection of our heart is that even ministry can turn into an idol. Well, very easily because there's such a uh, sliding back and forth. I don't, I'm trying to think of the word I want to use. Well, for example, um, in the early days of pastoring, uh, for me, uh, I had three services a week yeah. that I had to preach, communicate, and all you're doing is you're cranking out your next message, especially when you're right. young. I mean, it's not like you have this box full of messages that you're you just can writing, writing, yeah. you're just You're writing, right? exactly. And we may talk about this later as to exactly how, how you do that, but, you know, suddenly you're writing a message for the congregation becomes your devotional activity towards Jesus. Yeah. Because you're saying to yourself, I'm in the Bible all the time. Right. <laughs> I mean, I mean I'm, reading, I'm reading more Scripture than everybody combined yeah. in the congregation. How can I be held accountable uh, for a lack of devotion when I'm doing all of these sorts of things? And the same thing with the church. As I'm working for the church, you're working for God. You're doing something for the Lord. And so these things become conflated. That's the word, conflated, yeah. Yeah. to somehow get mixed up that my work, my vocational work in the ministry— is somehow equal to my devotional life. That's good. With Jesus. That's and, good. And it's, it's it's an easy conflation. It really is, and I it it's, it's so easy to get get mixed up. You're absolutely right. I I think for some people allowing allowing ministry to replace Jesus, uh, unfortunately, when that happens, it's almost as if like someone's affection for Jesus has been replaced by their achievement for Jesus. That's good. And and and. And it's gotten, you know, I mean, not to be overly scriptural and spiritual right now in this moment, but obviously it's it's that it's that Mary Martha moment, right? Right. With Jesus, and 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 he looks at her, and and he says, Mary is really recognizing what's important in this moment as as she sits, and because she's still modeling affection, whereas you know someone else is is working, and a lot of times it's it, this is a unique thing because in your heart sometimes it's like, well, I'm I'm working for right. the Lord, right? Like. Lord, Lord, don't. It's not an evil thing. Don't chastise thing. me. I'm doing this work for you. You know, like. But think about it. And you've been in this position that, you know, Sunday morning, church service is starting. And let's even say you've got it organized to where you don't have a lot of pressure going on before yeah. the service. But you come in and worship is going on. And even as you're worshiping as the pastor, your mind is twirling with, okay, what happens? after this song? How do we transition right. this out? I've got this special announcement that's coming by this person. I hope they remember that they're to make that announcement and not get off, you know, the track. Uh, I've got this person receiving an offering. I've got, you know, and you've got 
all these things flying through your mind, wanting it to come across seamlessly and smoothly, and there's nothing wrong with that either. But all of a sudden, this day which was created for you to focus on the Lord, all of this stuff is just twirling in your system, and by the end of the day, you're worn out. And it's it's not been really a Sabbath. It's not been in any way a a point of resourcing. It's been exhausting. And that gets, again, it gets conflated into, what you know, I was at worship today, and I did raise my hands, and I did sing the song, but your mind is totally totally disconnected. And it's such a real thing. I I think it's real across the board, no matter how large your church is or how many staff you have, anyone can fall into this particular mistake. But I obviously think in regards to what you just said, like it's probably uh, probably a little tougher on the pastors who don't have a lot of staff or support because, you know, they're the ones who are getting there early open in the building, True. they're setting up everything, you know, sometimes they're the ones setting up things, and then he also has to get on stage and preach the 45-minute message, and then he, and so there's a lot on his shoulders. Sometimes in a, with a larger staff at a larger church, maybe the pastor has the ability to really just kind of roll in, and all I got to do is preach because other staff are handling right, everything right. else, and so it's a little bit different, but, um, so what would you say, let, let's just pause right here, what advice would you give to the the pastor who is carrying a lot of the logistical weight on his particular Sunday. Maybe he's a mobile church, and maybe he's still setting up. How does he still keep that that day a worshipful day for him and the Lord, too? Like, even though he's the one who has to right. uh, deliver. Well, you know, and these are just suggestions, because honestly, I don't know how well I did it. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, you know, you know my life. I had everything from you know a, a fairly significant sized church. I worked on staff at a mega church. I, 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 you know, started a church. I was a church planner, a, a mobile situation. So I, I have a breadth of experience, and I'm not sure how well I always did all of those things. I guess I would say that there's going to be energy and work. Uh, right. to trust somebody, yeah. even if you have a, a smaller start of yeah. work, that you're going to have to find people who have connected that want to be a part of this, and they may not be paid staff, but they can be trained, and, and you're going to have to invest some time, some work, some energy, some mentoring uh, with regards to excellence and expectation with regards to them. And then the hardest thing of all is trust, because the easiest thing to do for me is to yeah. trust myself because I'll get it done like I want it, right? And, and it'll look right and go right and be smooth. I, I heard, I mean, I don't, I don't know if it was Maxwell or maybe Craig Rochelle or, or one of those guys who does a lot of leadership and writes a lot of books and stuff. But like he, he said one time, if obviously if if what when you do something, you consider it to be like a hundred percent. Like when I when I do it, if I'm going to handle it, I know this is a hundred percent exactly. But if you can find someone on your team who can do it about 70% to what you would consider your 100, that's a win, give it to them. Almost like, it, it was almost like, because at the end of the day, the only the only other option is for what? You to just keep holding well, everything and for you to just... And you're exactly right. And, and I can't say that I always processed it like that. Yeah. Because for many leaders, um, there is this perfectionistic right. strain that goes through you. You want to present, because your church, like you said, is your it's baby. It's your baby. It's, it's a reflection of you. It Maybe it shouldn't be that way, but the truth of the matter is, in our type of churches, yeah. who we are as a personality 
become sort of the essence of what people see right. when they come to that church. And so if it's not if it's not emanating what you feel like is you, then you feel like yeah. somehow you've been misrepresented. Again, I'm not even suggesting all that's good. It yeah. just is. Yeah. I, so I, you know, I remember just to throw out a scripture. Obviously, you know, First John chapter five and twenty one tells us, "Dear children, keep away from anything that might take God's place in your hearts. Keep away from anything that might take God's place in your hearts." Let me ask you this question: Do you think some pastors and leaders are relying on ministry instead of Jesus to meet a need in their life? Yeah, without question. Yeah. That uh, and I and I love pastors. I have pastor friends all over the nation. Yeah. Some of the greatest friends I have are pastors. I'm setting something up to tell you this, mm-hmm. but but honestly, pastors have issues of insecurity. Yeah. They have uh, the same issues as any man. They want to aspire. They want to achieve things. They, they, they want to have visibility. I, I, I mean, for a man, these things are important. They want to right. progress in their careers. And so when you're in the ministry, that just doesn't go away as a man that you still have certain aspirations. So yeah, is ministry happening in order to make me feel good about myself? Yeah, because how many pastors go home at the end of the day and they 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 base their whole self-worth on how many were either at church, yeah. uh, how many were at an altar, yeah. how explosive the service was. Um, these, are the, these are the metrics we use to say, can I feel good about myself today? When you don't realize that if Hey, I've said this for years. Sometimes the best things happen in church life with the smallest attendances I ever had. Yeah. I mean, that, and, and I've had the largest offerings with the smallest attendances. Wow. This is wild. You would think your largest attendances would beget certain things, and that's not always been the case. In fact, I, I've had some great things happen with some very small, uh, small attendances. And so through the years, it's it's helped me tweak sort of the feeling of, uh, you know, just because the outward signs aren't necessarily giving me the inward vibe I need, it doesn't mean necessarily that that day was a failure. I bet you've experienced this, that that you've written a message and you said to yourself, yes. this one's going to ring the bell. This, <laughs> yes. one, this one is going to go viral on Vimeo. I mean, and, and you do it and it's like... And no one no, comments. No one does no one. And then there's this one you had to crank out at the last minute. You, yeah, you're saying... for sure. And, and then you do this message and the whole place explodes and it's what you're noted for. Yeah. Now, that reminds us as to who's really in charge of all of this right. stuff. It, yeah. is, it isn't me and yeah. what necessarily I, I put, put into it. Yeah, I mean, I, and we'll move on to the second one, but I, I used to put so much weight on myself going to the pulpit in the early days because, you know, ministry was just, it was, it was keeping up with the Joneses, you know what I mean, so to speak, and it was, it was, I, I got a I got to hit a home run because, you know, the my contemporary in another state, he hit a home run recently and everyone was talking about his message, so now I got to get up. I got to hit a home run. And and it was it was so much weight, it was so heavy. Finally, through much pain and despair, I feel like God has helped me in recent days get out of that uh to where one of the last things I literally tell myself when I walk on stage is just give him Jesus. Yeah. Just give him Jesus. It's just, well, if you've, honestly, learned, if you've learned that at 34, then you've learned a great lesson. Hopefully let me, let I me, have. I, I feel like because, I, it's been revealed to me. And Because let me, let me tell you, we, we got to come back to this topic. Yeah. Because there is, especially in gifted communicators, there is the feeling, using a baseball analogy, yeah. that I got to hit it out of the park every time I get up right. to bat. And that's just not reality. No, no. I, sometimes you got to hit a double. 
And you gotta realize that you gotta realize that when you're at that conference and you hear that keynote speaker, what he's done is he's just taken five of his best messages and melted them together. Oh, with great stories. With all the stories, all the sticky statements, all the like, and and you're like. If that's the level I gotta compete with, uh, there's no, there's no way. There's, I, can, yeah. I can't. The, yeah. And 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 you don't realize that was actually five messages melted down into one because he just he just brought like his best game. Exactly. And there are people probably listening that are saying, "Well, how do you know that?" It's because we've done it all the time. It's what you do yeah. when you go to a conference. You have people that want to be encouraged. They want to be pumped to go back to their assignments. And and. Again, nothing wrong with that, but that's what you do. You yeah. bring them the home run message. Here's what a good pastor does. You you realize on, on Sundays, I just got to get them on first base. That's all I got to do. I just got to get these people on first base. And I the, just got to get them to take a and, step. And the other thing you need to realize is, I, I got next week. Yes. <laughs> this is not my make or break sermon. I've got, I've got 51 more weeks this year to do this. So anyway, so yeah, number one, one of the mistakes leaders make is allowing ministry to replace Jesus. We don't want to do that. No, I know none of us do. None of us want to be about that. We don't want ministry to be a mistress. We don't want ministry to be an idol in our life. We, we want uh, our affection for Jesus to be greater than our achievement, so to speak. But, and, but truth is, because we're, you're, my, you're my oldest, Yeah. Um, and, and, I, and, I, and I look back now and I say, you know, I, wanted, I think I did my best and I probably did better than a lot, but I, I know there were times that I probably needed to be at something that you were in, that maybe I wasn't there. Now, I was at a lot of things. Right, right, yeah. But there were times I still made that decision. I think I got better with Tyler, and then with yeah. Kalen, I think I, I did a pretty good job yeah. as far as you know, keeping the balance between those two. But I'm just here to tell you, I, I tell you why church life is so challenging for a man. Uh, it's because it's never completed. Yeah. I love to mow the lawn, and you know why? <laughs> it's because there comes a moment, it's done. It's done. And you can look at it and say, look what I have done. Yeah. But that will never happen at church life. Yeah. It will never be done. People will never do what they really ought to do. Yeah. You will always have somebody that'll get a brain cramp about yeah. the time you think you're sailing really yeah. well. Somebody will do something really stupid, and it will blow the whole thing up again. That's church life. And if you try right. to bring the male... You know, I got to have this completed. I have to have. It's just, it isn't going to work. It's messy, and, and it's why guys, I think, at times collapse yeah. when they get up to certain levels because you just can't sustain that type of emotion and feeling. That's true. Second thing I wrote down is another mistake that I think leaders make is allowing comparing to replace contentment. Uh, and when we get away from contentment, obviously there's the old famous saying, we all know it, the grass looks greener on the other side. Most of us have lived long enough to know that ain't always the case. No. And uh, The reason it's green is because of all the fertilizer they got through on it. <laughs> yeah, so, so the grass looks greener on the other side, water your own grass, right? And so, but... um. But in ministry and leadership, comparing yourself and your ministry to others, it's a huge issue. It's a dangerous activity. I, I tell some of our young guys all the time, comparison is poison. Mm -hmm. uh, when you jump into that game, you're drinking poison. It's only ever going to hurt you, um, and, uh, and we don't want to live in, in that in that space, you know, and, and to the person who struggles with this, you got to learn how to wait for God's timing in ministry. Uh, I, I remember this, and I'll just, so I'll share this. I remember um, a while ago, obviously I'm in my mid-30s now, but a while ago, um, starting in ministry, I was doing some young adult ministry, and I just remembered one day, um, 
I kind of woke up to the fact that, like, and I'll just use him as a particular example, uh, Pastor Stephen Furtick, who uh, I appreciate. I think he's a phenomenal communicator, and obviously he's built a large church, and he has global uh, influence. Um, but I remember I woke up one day, and I thought this, you know, Pastor Stephen Furtick is only five years older than me. And that was really depressing to think about. I, I remember one particular <laughs> day, I, and I, I remember being like, I, I gotta, I gotta start something. I gotta get this train on the road. I gotta, I gotta plan a church tomorrow. I am behind. I'm behind the eight ball. What is wrong with me, Clay? You know, and 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 it, all of a sudden, the comparing sent me into a a panic and an anxiety attack because I felt like, oh my gosh, I'm I'm losing time. I'm, I'm running out. I gotta, I gotta start something. I should, I should be further along by now. I should be more well known by now. I should be getting more hits on the old YouTube channel by now. Whatever it is. And, um, and it was so easy to start comparing myself to someone like him uh, because he was more a contemporary, more in the same age range. I'm not comparing myself to John Maxwell. He's, he's de- you know, a few decades ahead of me, right? But, um, but it's really easy to fall into that trap uh, when we start playing the comparison game. And I, I think it obviously hinders people. It's, uh, it's, it's absolutely destructive, and it really, really hurts. When when people jump into stuff like that, absolutely. Well, there's so, only there's only one of you, and there's only one of everybody, right? And uh, you know the the kingdom isn't built on one person's gift, and there has to be value and esteeming that takes place in all kinds of ministries. And again, I understand uh, preaching and visibility and influence and and those things sometimes can be good because we want to make an impact, uh, but at the same time. Uh, you know, the Scripture tells us that there are captains of right. tens, captains of one hundreds, captains of thousands, and so, uh, and that doesn't mean one's better than the other. That's kind of the tragedy of the era we're living in. We tend to think that those who captain more people automatically or somehow are better. Right. Now, now again, they're gifted, no doubt, and and they have impact, and we should rejoice. Yeah. Uh, but the the guy again that's in a an obscure place that's being faithful that's impacting lives there i mean you can't right. diminish you can't diminish that in right. any way shape or form and, and and we need to get a hold of that especially if, young men and if we really like if, if pastors and leaders in the church if we really believe if we're really drinking the stuff we're selling you know what i mean like we we have to get the revelation that nobody else exists with the same combination of your gifts, your personality, your upbringing, your capacity, the desires that God's put in your heart. Like, truly, if we believe what Scripture says, we know that there's no one else like us, and that we're unique, we're called uniquely to to places. Um, And if you want to—I'll say it like this—if you want to compare, like if you're just dead set on, I got to compare something, compare you to you. Like, compare you where you are now to maybe where you were two or three years ago. That's like, good. draw those comparisons. Yeah, that's and good. hopefully, you'll find that you're further down the road, you're more spiritually mature, you've grown in leadership skills, uh, you're at a new place. Like, let that, if you want to compare, let that be the comparison you draw, because truthfully, the straight-up truth is comparing yourself to another brother in Christ is completely unbiblical. It's 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 not, it, it's just, it's destructive. It's so destructive. Exactly. Well, all you have to do is look at Jesus' 12 disciples, and that pretty much says that they weren't uniform in any way, shape, or form. <laughs> they, all, they all had different skill sets, all, all different training, all different uh, personalities, and uh, yet all used uh, in order yeah. to start this thing. And so I wrote this down, like, obviously the opposite of comparing would then be contentment, right? Living with contentment. You know, 
I, 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 bro, this, like, I, I want to consistently ask the Lord to help me be content with these four things. And I wrote them down. Here's the four things I would like to be content in. Number one, who I am. Lord, help me be content with who I am. Be aware of my strengths and my weaknesses. I'm going to be content. Number two, where I am. Help me be content with where you have me, where I'm serving in this current season. Uh, number three, what I'm doing, right? Be content and know that God's given me, you know, what I have right now. What am I doing? I'm a, I'm a pastor in this department of church life, or I, I minister in this way. And then number four, help me be content with what God is doing. And, and if I can those practice contentment in those four areas, you're just going to be all the better for it. And so, And do I believe that God really is in control of my life? Right. Do I believe that the steps of the righteous are ordered? That's the scripture. Yeah. Do I believe that he has created good works beforehand that I might walk in them? Because here's the question. Do I want to walk in what I want, or do, or will I walk in what he has designed me and has for me? Yeah. Uh, you know, you can want all kinds of things, but the fact of the matter is I got to want what God wants. Right. What does God have for me? And that's and, and again, this is a part of consecration. This is a part of the crucified life. It's, it's when I say it's not about me. Right. It's not about just what I want. It's about what, God, you have for me, and I embrace that with contentment and, secondly, with joy. Yeah. To have a joy in that, not just saying, oh, doggone it. I, I'm never going to be, yeah. I'm never going to be the mega pastor, best selling author. I'm, I'm never going to be that. Well, yeah. okay, you may not. Because that isn't what God designed you to do. Yeah, I realize that we venerate it, and that feels good to be esteemed like that. But but your your esteem should come from knowing I have done the will of God. Yeah, yeah. I I remember when I felt like I was uh, I was behind the eight ball in certain seasons of life, and other other guys who were around my age were uh, getting more exposure or moving on what I considered to be faster than me. I remember I came across this simple illustration, but it's true. I was reading this article one time, and it talked about giant bamboo trees in Asia. And it talked about how the first four years that, uh, you know, they're a seed in the ground, that they're, they're watered and they're fertilized, the first four years with seemingly no results. And then all of a sudden, on the fifth year, after being watered and fertilized, in five weeks on the fifth year, that plant grows to over 90 feet high, right? So the question is, did the tree grow to 90 feet in five weeks, or did the tree grow to 90 feet in five years? Exactly. And so so I remember when I read that, I was like, it, it wasn't even a, a spiritual book I was reading, but boy, that's a spiritual principle. And uh, I was like, thanks, Lord, for speaking to me. That really I, helps. It's what I was told one time, that every overnight success took years to get there. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> So the third thing is this, and we'll go real quick with the time that we have left. The, the third mistake uh, I see leaders making is allowing pride to replace humility. Um, obviously, pride is—some uh, would say it's the first sin. It's, it's destructive. Um, I, I think it, it can often be found in young leaders who are successful early on in ministry. Um, I think it was even found in me. Like, I, I, I noticed uh, that it was there in myself. I mean, when I left— I, I left college. I went to just a, a you know a state university in South Carolina, and then I, uh, I I went off to ministry school in Australia. Learned a lot, had a lot of great experiences, met some great people. Uh, when I came back, I'm in my early 20s. Feel like I know a lot, got a lot of answers, all this kind of stuff. Certainly could have done things better. Uh, but then I, I I I worked obviously with you, Dad, for a little while. Then I got an opportunity to go to a large mega church in Georgia. And, um, and all of a sudden now, wow, big platforms, a lot of people, big ministry, and you kind of feel like I'm on the highway, you know what I mean? Like, look at, <laughs> like, like, 
Like, look at look at the decisions I've made have certainly lined up to be good ones because I am I am in the right place now. And I I remember I would never have said that. I was not arrogant enough to actually ever say that to anyone. But there's certainly something in you that felt like I have fast tracked. I like you know like I'm right. at, I'm at Disney World and I got the fast pass right. and I go straight to the front of the line. And 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 the Lord had to humble me yeah. <laughs> for real in some areas. And uh, and you eventually realize that uh, that pride gets you nowhere. And 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 truthfully, wow, Scripture is actually true. And pride comes right before you tank and you fall, and you end up realizing that it wasn't what you thought it was. And humility. And and this is what I tell people now: if the the Scripture tells us that uh, He opposes the proud, He gives grace to the humble. So think about that. So the only way I'm getting grace is through humility, right? We see that in in, in salvation. Mm-hmm. We come to the Lord humbly, and, and, and He extends grace into our life. And, and so if I need grace to do what God's called me to do, which hopefully all of us recognize you do need the grace, well, watch this. The only way you're getting the grace is through the door of humility. Right. Pr- pride's not going to get you more grace for, for what God's called you to do. No, He resisted. Yeah. But, but humility's going to give me grace. So I finally woke up to myself and realized, wow, if I want more grace to actually be effective, I, I need to stay in yeah. a humble place. Yeah. And the Scripture goes on to say that we're to humble ourselves yeah. under the mighty hand of God, and He will exalt you in due season. Right. And so, yeah, humility, uh, humility is incredibly important, and it's something we enter into ourselves. And uh, if you can learn that lesson, again, all of us, especially if, if you're young, you're energetic, you're gifted, you're skilled, uh, there's an anointing, God's calling. I mean, you know, the favor of the Lord is real too. I mean, right. He has put you in places that you can look back now, even at, at your still relatively young age, and yeah. say, you know what, that was that was way beyond my pay grade and my understanding for me to get to do that. And I've had those moments where I can look back and say, for me to be able to do that, that was way beyond, yeah. you know, uh, my, my skill levels and, and pay grade. And to be grateful for that and to be thankful for that and to realize that uh, whatever he opens up before you, that, man, this is an honor. I, I, I mean, I get to represent him. I get to talk about him. And this is an honor. And yeah. just because I don't get the same platform, it doesn't mean that uh, the Lord still doesn't uh, esteem that in amazing ways. Yeah. And let me just say this about humility. I, I, I used to think that humility was... Oh, you know, like you got to stay in the background. You got you, you can't say much. Uh, being like you have to be embarrassed when you're complimented. Oh no, it's not me. Like you have to like deflect every compliment. Uh, remind myself that I'm nothing. I'm I'm nothing. I'm nothing. I'm nothing. Like that's not humility. Uh, what I realize now is that actual humility is it's a strong sense of God confidence. It's it's being yourself. It's being the person that God's called me to be. It's being thankful for who I am. Uh, and so, in other words, humility is honestly assessing ourselves in light of God's holiness and our sinfulness, I think. Like, that's where I find, uh, I find humility. And so, uh, so, yeah, I don't want pride to replace humility. I know none of us do, and so I, I think that's a mistake we make at times. I'll just say I think it's, it's often found in young leaders, especially those who have, quote-unquote, success early on. It's just it's easier for maybe the enemy to start bringing pride. We don't we don't want that to happen, right? And the last thing we'll get to is this: is um, the fourth mistake that leaders make is allowing pleasing people to replace pleasing God, pleasing people to replace pleasing God. And uh, obviously, you know, pr- the Proverbs chapter twenty nine tells us that the fear of man will prove to be a snare, snare. but whoever trusts in the Lord is kept safe. And uh, and and. 
it's easy it's easy to fall into that at times what what do others think of me and 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 depending on everybody wants to be thought of well right yeah yeah i mean everyone wants to of course jesus says woe to you when all men think well of you right i mean i mean it it ultimately comes back to am i going to be biblically based and 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 scripturally sound or am i going to fall into the traps of just societal tugs, pulls, and pressures. I mean, we all get, we want people to like us, we want them to come to church, we don't, we, I, I, nobody wants to intentionally alienate somebody else. But, the, but, but if we're really preaching truth, right? truth alienates, and, and it alienates on its own. Now, I don't have to help it alienate, yeah, yeah, yeah. but I have to be faithful to its substance, yeah. which will alienate. Yeah, I think it was Whitfield who said one time. He said, "If you're not if you're not aggravating people and you're preaching, then you're probably not really preaching. There's going to be some aggravation in those who listen that aren't adhering." And we see it clearly in the Gospels. Every time Jesus opened up his mouth, not only did it encourage some, but it really ticked off others and and made oh, them absolutely. You know, like we we see that so evident. So. In John chapter six, he runs off thousands of people. Yeah, and then he looks at his disciples. You want to leave? And he, and, he, and he dares them. Yeah, he says, "How about you? You ready to go?" It's like he dares them. Yeah, <laughs> I always laugh because Peter gives them the resounding affirmation of saying, "Well, where else do we go?" Yeah, I, mean, I always read that saying. That's not really a resounding endorsement, Peter. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. Uh, I heard I heard a quote one time that said this, I don't know what the secret to success is, but I know what the secret to failure is, and it's trying to keep everybody happy. Absolutely. And, and that, you'll never do that's it. That's a pretty good, that's a pretty good quote. And so uh, I, I also thought about this. I wrote this down. You know, whoever's opinion of you matters the most, that's the person that controls you. That's good. And so, um, and, and whoever controls you gets to lead you and gets to position you. And so, uh, unfortunately, I think, uh, in church life, and and again, I'm not not speaking ill of anything, but I think you know historically, you know that's what happens when churches sometimes there's a pastor, but then there ends up being a very strong opinionated board of elders or deacons or something, and 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 when other when when man has the control over another man, that they position them, they rule them. Now I'm not saying any of those things are bad. Uh, they bring accountability. They bring a lot of great stuff. Hopefully they're bringing encouragement to whoever the sure, leader in the past. Absolutely. So, so hopefully we're all on the same page right there. It's not all bad. But what I am saying is that's why pleasing God needs to be first and foremost. If his opinion matters the most, he gets to control me. If his opinion to me matters the most, uh, then he gets to position me, he gets to lead me. And if anything's going to lead the church and it's going to do well, like I I preached that in a message uh, a a few weeks ago, like the promise and the good thing that we have in in church is, uh, you know, the scripture tells us, lest the Lord builds the house, everyone who tries is, is just doing it in vain, doing a really bad job. But if it's really the Lord, if it's really the Holy Spirit that's building this thing, and pleasing the Holy Spirit is what matters to us, then we're actually in a really good place, because as long as the Holy Spirit is leading, nothing's ever going to go under. You know what I mean? Absolutely. (laughs) I mean, for centuries, the church has done all right through persecution, through attack, through everything, and it only does that when the right person is actually in the lead. Absolutely. So so yeah, so we'd... uh, we want to please God more than we please man. And so I know we rattled off a few things, uh, and hopefully you enjoyed today. And, uh, and we're just protecting ourselves, right? Like, we want to be people 
who avoid making these mistakes. Some of us listening, uh, maybe you're what on the on what you would consider the back nine of of ministry and pastoring or whatever it is. But I, I there's probably some people out there my age, and you're still maybe early on. And uh, hopefully today was was just yeah. some wisdom. I've just got a couple holes left on that course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. <laughs> But hopefully today just gave you a little bit of wisdom. We like talking about it, and at the end of the day, uh, Dad and myself, we're not here to give answers to every theological question in the universe. Um, Truthfully, we probably don't have answers to all of them, Uh, but the point of the podcast and all these episodes is that it would just provoke thought. It would provoke you to maybe search the Scriptures more, uh, pray more, really find out what the Lord is speaking to you wherever you're at all over the United States, all over the world. Uh, I mean, God has you there for a reason. And if you're in ministry, man, we hope uh, you're encouraged today uh, because you're probably doing better than you even think sometimes. And so we love you guys. Thanks for tuning in on the Baird and Baird podcast, and we'll see you on the next episode.